Last week, I started a sermon series looking at the great call stories of the Bible. These moments where God comes to a certain person and calls them to do something, calls them to action, calls them to a role or to be something different. And I'm interested in how God calls and also how people listen. Last week, we took a look at the call of Abraham, and today, we're looking at the call of Moses. Now, before we get to the text, we're going to be in Exodus 3 and 4, Exodus 3 and 4, but I need to give you some background so you know sort of where we are in the story. The people of Israel have been in slavery in Egypt, okay? They had gone there for the protection in the midst of a famine, uh, led there because their brother, uh, one of the brothers, Joseph, had been sold into slavery. But now it's years later, and they're still there in Egypt, and the family has grown. This happens when you have 12 brothers. Okay, the family continues to grow, and now the Pharaoh doesn't remember the story of Joseph. All he sees is this group of people that are growing and growing and growing, and he's worried that these people could uh, cause trouble. So he puts them in slavery. He has them building, uh, making bricks, but, uh, and he even at one point kills the male children that are born to try to keep the population down, really treating them like animals, like cattle, rather than people. But one little boy is put in a basket and spared of that slaughter, uh, Moses. Moses is brought up in the household of Pharaoh with his own mom as a nanny. Uh, It's not clear whether he knows he's Hebrew when he figures it out, but eventually he figures out or he gets told or however that works out that he's Jewish. And one day as he sees one of the Pharaoh's men really beating a, a Hebrew slave, he gets angry and he goes after this man and he kills him. Moses commits murder and buries the body in the sand where he thinks no one will see it and he will get away with it, but he doesn't. And people seem to know what he's done. And so he's afraid. He runs. He gets out of Egypt and leaves to the east into the desert. He gets married there. He lives in the desert, tending sheep for 40 years. 40 years he's out of Egypt. And then one day he's walking around. And we pick up the story in Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out from the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian and bring them out of the land to a, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites 
the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is a really thick passage. There's a lot in here. There's a lot we could talk about. But I want to focus around three different symbols in this passage. The first is the symbol of the wilderness. The symbol of the wilderness. Wilderness is just any place that's wild. So if you're from Pennsylvania, you probably, when you hear wilderness, you think of woods, right? You think, oh, well, that's woods. But if you're from Israel, the, the wilderness is the desert because wilderness just means place that is wild, that is untamed, it's uninhabited. And so in these parts, it's the desert. In the Bible, it's a place where people go to meet the divine and have their views shaped and changed by God. It's a place of preparation because there's less distraction in the desert. And you must learn to depend on God in the wilderness. Often in the Bible, wilderness experiences are associated with the number 40. It rains on Noah for 40 days. Moses in the desert for 40 years. Then he leads the people through the desert for 40 years. Jesus fasts in the wilderness for 40 days. The wilderness is this sort of paradox. Because though people are led to the wilderness to prepare and draw close to God, it can also feel like a dark time of wondering where God is. God seems far off when we're in times of wilderness. God seems distant and we feel like we have no direction. We feel like we'll never get out of the wilderness. Have you ever been at, at that point in your life? I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. Moses himself was raised as an Egyptian. And he thinks like an Egyptian. He doesn't really know the Hebrew God. And so God uses the wilderness to prepare Moses for the work he has to do. In fact, think about this. Moses spends 40 years keeping his family and his sheep alive in the wilderness. Guess what he does the next 40 years? He spends the next 40 years keeping the people of Israel alive in the desert. Uh, for, in the same desert, by the way. He goes and meets up with his father-in-law later because they're in the neighborhood of the wilderness. Okay, he knows the wilderness. He knows what it's like to be in the wilderness. God uses his running from God to prepare him for God's purposes. He knows the water. He knows where to go to be safe in the wilderness. He knows his way through that part of the wilderness. His biggest mistake of his life led him to God's great preparation for the biggest act of his life. Just because you feel like you're in the desert with God doesn't mean that God is not there. He may be preparing you. Just because you feel like you have failed God or let God down does not mean God still can't use that and wrap that up into his plan. And just because you spent years waiting for God's direction doesn't mean it's not still coming. The second symbol I want you to think about is the symbol that catches Moses' attention. This burning bush. Moses looks over to see this bush that is burning and yet he can see that the branches are not being consumed. So what's the source of this fire? What is happening here? And so he goes over to see. Had the bush always been burning? Had Moses passed that bush many times and never noticed God's miraculous presence in the ordinary around him? 
Or was this a special event? We, we don't know. But God calls begins, God's call begins with this moment of curiosity. Moses looks and he sees and he says, I've got to know more about that. I've got to check that out. I've got to go that direction. And so God calls to him from this bush. He does this by name. Did you notice that? Moses, Moses. He knows exactly who Moses is. He knows exactly where Moses has been. Often God's call comes right to us by name because God knows us and calls us. Then he says, do not come near. Take off the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This brings up two important questions, right? First of all, what makes the ground holy? What makes that ground holy? Well, it's not the bush itself, right? That bush was probably just a bush before that. It's God's presence. But is it God's presence in the bush or is it God's presence with Moses? Notice what the text says. It says, the place where you are standing is holy ground. What if the actual meaning here that Moses is supposed to get is, hey Moses, it's not just this bush that's holy ground. That where you are standing is holy ground. What if we started to think of everywhere that we step as holy ground? God put me in this relationship. God put me in this situation. God gave me this job. God gave me all this so that where I'm standing is holy ground. Because what makes the bush holy, what makes the ground holy is the presence of God. And God says again and again to Moses in the rest of this passage that he's with him. That he's with him. First question, what makes the ground holy? But the second question is why does Moses have to take off his shoes? Why does Moses have to take off his shoes? Sure, it's a symbolic act of reverence. Okay, you, you, in, in certain cultures, you take off your shoes when you enter a house because it would be rude to walk in, and, and maybe that's going on here. But I also wonder if maybe God is saying, this is holy ground and I don't want anything to come between you and my presence. I don't want anything to come between us. Take off your shoes, stand right on the holy ground because I want you right here where I have you. So Moses comes over, keeps his distance from the bush. He takes off his shoes and just stands there hiding his face. He doesn't know how to handle God's presence. He's probably never in his life felt God's presence before. And God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God reminds Moses of the story of who he is and his relationship with Israel. The bush teaches us a lot about how God calls us. God's call often starts with curiosity or interest in a situation or a need around us. There's often this little intuition that we get where we say, oh, there's something wrong there. There's something up there. You ever had that with somebody? You have a conversation with them and you know there's something else going on, something they don't want to say. Sometimes God calls us first through our curiosity, through our interest. Man, i got to know more about that. i got to find out what that thing is. And God draws us to that. We also notice a problem or an opportunity. And it, it, it's God's divine inspiration. Moses doesn't know that yet. He's just interested in this burning bush. What the heck's going on over there? And he wants to figure it out. And yet that curiosity comes from some divine inspiration. This thing grows in us until it becomes a fire that burns but doesn't consume. That fire is really what it feels like when you get some passions for God. When God calls you to something, it's a passion, it's a fire in you. you like, you got to do something about this. 
It starts to consume you, but not in a bad way. But before it is our passion, it often starts with us feeling God's presence. Finding out who God is in the midst of it. We are called to see God for who he is and show reverence. To bow to God. That often God humbles us before he can use us. He teaches us about his presence and to trust in him before he sends us out. It's why sometimes we wait a while. It's why sometimes God sends us to the wilderness because he's preparing us. Now the third symbol of this text we haven't actually read yet. It comes a little bit later. I just read to you the beginning of the call of Moses. The call of Moses actually is two chapters. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. And it takes two chapters because Moses argues with God. I encourage you this week to read the text for yourself. He has all kinds of objections. Lord, I don't don't really think it's me. I don't really think you should send me. First, Moses says, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Then he says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Listen to how God responds. I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Moses' first question is, who am I? Who am I? Who am I that you should send me? Who, who, what do I have? What should I do? What kind of power do I have? Remember, he was raised in Egyptian. He understands Egyptian power. He doesn't understand God's sense of power. Who am I? But his other question is related. Who are you? Who are you? Who should I tell him is sending? Because I don't know who you are. I don't really understand who you are, God. This voice from the bush. Who are you? In chapter 4, Moses is given a symbol to be his strength and a representation of his power. In Exodus 4, it says, And then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. See, another objection. Moses has them all. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to him, Moses, put your hand, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and the staff and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God gives Moses a third symbol. And it's a staff. And it's actually his staff. It's the staff he's been using in the desert to protect and attend to his sheep. It's his own staff. But now he can throw it on the ground and it can become a serpent. But it does way more than that in the story. If you keep reading the story, you'll find that that staff turns the river to blood, calls down some of the plagues, parts the Red Sea, brings water from a rock in the desert. When Israel fights the Amalekites and Moses holds up his staff, the Israelites win the battle and when he puts down the staff, they lose. The staff becomes this great symbol of God's power in Moses' life. Moses has one other objection in chapter 4. He says, he is not eloquent and he's slow of speech and of tongue. A lot of people have suggested that maybe Moses has a stuttering problem. 
the way that that phrase, slow of speech, or, or maybe he just has trouble getting the right words out. Anybody been there before? You like can't quite put the right words together. And Moses is saying, who's going to listen to me? How am I supposed to have the right words? God gives him his brother Aaron to be his voice. But, but God also gets mad at Moses because Moses just keeps fighting God. Moses is struggling, as many of us do, to believe that it could be us. We think life is how it is and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have the right words. I don't have the right power. God, you've got the wrong person. Remember, Moses has also tried to do this before. He's tried to help these people. And he ended up murdering somebody and then running for his life. Okay, Moses said, I'm not the right guy. I've just been out here with the sheep for 40 years. I got nothing to offer. But that staff of Moses is this great symbol of power. Not that Moses has the power. But it's God's presence, you understand? It's the same presence in the bush. It's the same presence in Moses. And so when he holds that staff, he should be reminded. You don't need an army. You don't need to be eloquent with your speech. You don't have to have all the gifts. What we have to have from God is a call. To say it another way, God never calls someone who has all the gifts and all the abilities. Never. Read the whole Bible. You're never going to find one character that God says, yep, you got what it takes. You got what it takes. God always equips the cult. He always brings people up. That way they can't say it was them. That way there's no pride. Paul can't say, ah, no, look at all the great things I did because he remembers that he helped murder Christians. David was a murderer. We go through all the, the only perfect character in the Bible is Jesus. And they murdered him. Jesus is the only perfect character. What God uses in us is imperfection. So that the words of Zechariah are the words of our lives. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And here at the burning bush, God imparts his spirit on Moses. And he calls Moses to do something Moses knows to be impossible. He knows what it's like to go to Pharaoh. In fact, he was raised with the Pharaoh that's on the throne. Knows him personally. And I am convinced that God calls us. That I am called to be a pastor, to be a husband, to be a father, to pastor this church, to do certain things during the week, have certain conversations. I believe I was called to preach this sermon this week. I believe God still calls and I believe God calls you to. To what? I don't know. In fact, maybe you feel like you've been in the wilderness and you haven't heard God's call for a while and you don't know where things are going. Maybe you feel like you've made mistakes that God couldn't possibly use you or that you're too flawed. God couldn't use me because of what I've done or because I don't have eloquent speech or I don't have all these gifts. You feel ill-equipped. But still God calls. And maybe you wait for it, but God calls. Perhaps you should start where Moses does, with who God is. And here's the great news about that. When, when God talks to Moses, he, he has to introduce himself, because Moses doesn't know him. And he has to say that I am who I am, and I am the God of your fathers. But we know God in a completely different way than Moses could ever have known him. 
Because we live on this side of the cross. And we know that God became flesh. And the I am gave us some more descriptors, right? I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And the I am went through the it is finished of the cross so that we could experience the I am the resurrection and the life. So believe in Jesus. Pay attention to your curiosities. Watch for God's presence, sometimes in the ordinary around you. Don't get discouraged in the desert. And remember where your true strength lies. It's my prayer that the story of Moses may inspire and challenge you. And that the story of Jesus may strengthen you for the calls that God has for your life. Amen.